Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. To be able to bring people together. At the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Everybody, we don't have to tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick, National NBA Writer here as always. We have no video on this pod, but I'm rocking the Santa Claus hat. Just to get in the holiday mood, we have out on the East Coast, Fred Katz, Washington Wizards beat writer. And and as Fred said off air, as I was talking about how excited I was, to talk Wizards basketball. Fred, you're not used to hearing this. How, how nice is this new reality with Russell Westbrook, brother? It's unbelievable. I'm covering an interesting team. I got my Hanukkah bush right behind me. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm good to go. I'm good to talk some Wizards. You know, it's amazing. I think about the Wizards more than any human being in the world who doesn't work for the Wizards. So sure. it's, it's great to have an outlet to express those thoughts. I love it. And happy Hanukkah, my friend. Now in, in the central part of the country, we got Kelly Eco, Houston Rockets beat writer extraordinaire. Kelly, your team's been interesting for a while, but but this thing has normally been interesting because it's can they unseat the Dynasty Warriors? You know, what's Daryl Morey going to do next? Well, what about Mike D'Antoni and his creative offense? Now, man, you I mean, you're not a new guy in this game anymore. You've seen a few things, you've done a few things. But now, my friend, you get to cover uh, a bit of dysfunction. You get to cover uh, a bit of chaos. We got John Wall uh, in his new Red Rockets jersey. Uh, but we don't have James Harden uh, reporting to Rockets training camp just yet. So uh, new stuff for you. What's up, my guy? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, you know, going from, you know, can these guys actually win an NBA championship to how long can they stay up in the West to – now it's, can they keep James Harden? It seems like a ticking time bomb um, with him not reporting for camp. And it's kind of weird given, you know, everyone in a perfect world, they would want to talk about, you know, Stephen Silas and his new offense and John Wall and his transition and DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood. And now it's, when is James going to report to camp? <laughs> it's it's so weird. It is weird. I mean, obviously that was the biggest move of the offseason. So even if there was no drama attached to it, you know, you just had a, a big time basketball move that was really interesting. And then, you know, I mean, right out the gate with the trade and, and Kelly, we'll keep it on your side. You know, you had we knew that that Russell Westbrook wanted out of town. He got his wish. We know that James Harden has definitely been eyeing greener pastures and, you know, specifically Brooklyn, maybe Philadelphia. So then a couple of days ago, you know, we're waiting on James to report to camp. Uh, and we find out that he didn't. And now, to be honest, Mark Stein of the New York Times had first reported that James was not in Houston. That then gets revealed by TMZ that he had gone to Little Baby's birthday party in Atlanta. I can tell you in real time that like we were we were actually going to report the part about James not being in Texas 
uh, before Stein had gotten to it first. You know, James had to go. I know this for a fact. He had to go get tested in Atlanta. Uh, and, and I know at least for that day that he made sure he got his test. Then, and I read your column today, I believe you jumped over to Vegas. How are you interpreting all this? Because you, you said in your column that, like, listen, the optics are bad. Only James knows exactly where his head is at right now. But it, it is, if he doesn't show up today, I mean, it is starting to feel like a very loud message being sent by him. But the only qualifier is like, this is James Harden. And this is a guy who he is a jet setter. And it's not smart to do that in COVID times. But, you know, you know, there's part of me that had been wondering if this was just James being James. I'm starting to lean pretty heavily towards, you know, he's obviously not feeling great about the uh, the moves that have been made here. Yeah, so the the, the timing isn't great. Obviously, right. he's, he's very close friends with, you know, little baby and, the Atlanta thing and the Vegas thing, but teams were supposed to have their players report almost a week ago, right? right. If, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And um, according to NBA protocol, you have to generate three consecutive um, tests that show you don't have COVID for you to actually be in the facility. And now, you know, James is not here. And if he's not here again today, that's a pretty big strong arm to the, to the, to the front office and to the franchise that, you know, he really wants out. And this whole time, this whole offseason has been, you know, is he going to end up in Brooklyn? Is he going to end up in Philadelphia? And the Rockets, you know, to, with all respect to them, they didn't want to talk to any team unless they were getting, you know, a humongous package because, you know, they have him on a contract for two more years. They have the leverage. But now, you know, with, with the training camp underway and preseason so close, it's it's going to be a very bad, sticky situation. I, I don't think... Um, that this is going to get any better. I think the optics look terrible. Um, and the only person who knows what he wants right now is James. Here's what's, what's wild to me. It'd be one thing if after the Westbrook trade, James was kind of on an island as the only star player in this group. I would be dying to know kind of what the communication is like between him and his new teammates because in John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, you've got two all-stars who are absolutely in – that NBA fraternity of stars. These are not slouches. These are not guys to be disrespected, to be honest with you. Like, you know, they are guys who, and I watched DeMarcus's press conference the other day. Uh, you know, I read about John's and they are guys that are fired up to be in Houston. This is not a bad situation for them. And these are incredibly important times in their careers. Both guys coming off major injury problems, both guys healthy, both guys revived and James Harden is is the biggest piece to their puzzle. Uh, you know, and they've said the right things to this point. Like you said, we'll see if he shows up today. But uh, it's messy, Fred. How do you see the whole landscape? You know, I'll 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 respond to your question with a question, not for you, but for Kelly. So Kelly and I wrote a piece together a few days ago, kind of about like the inside stuff uh, of the behind the Harden for or behind the uh, Westbrook for wall trade and something that we you know kelly had some stuff in there i had some stuff in there kelly had a lot of stuff in there i had a little a little stuff in there but Stop one thing it. that we both heard was that wall and harden both actively wanted to play together they they both had they had a conversation maybe multiple at some point they wanted to play together 
Then John Wall, I think, Kelly, yesterday you were there for it, or at least you were virtually there for it. Uh, John said yesterday that that he and Harden had a discussion and wanted to play together, right? And so, Kelly, I'm wondering, do you have any feel right now? And, and it's a lot harder to have feel for it when we're not physically present in the building and we're not at practice and can't have those bump into people conversations and that kind of stuff. But do you have any feel right now for for John? Because like one thing that is is a little confusing, I mean, you can parse it out and get through it, but they want to play together, but he doesn't want to play for the team he's on is a very <laughs> weird a very weird juxtaposition. Yeah. That is a complicated yeah. emotion to try to describe. Yeah, so um, there was something that John said yesterday, and I kind of picked it because he talks very quickly. But he did say, "Oh, it's wild." In between the good luck between transcribing the lines, him, by the way, Kelly. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> I can't wait. But in between the lines, he had said that him and James had had discussions of when he wanted to be uh, in Houston and when he would actually get to Houston. I think that kind of got lost in you know everything that was going on, but. It sounded like John kind of already knew what was going on with James. And, you know, if John understands when James wants to report to camp, you know, that, that's going to be between him and John. But it's got to be awkward for John kind of having to speak to the media um, and him not having the, the, the pleasure of having the guy in the backcourt, you know, there with him. It makes things a lot easier if you have your star player with you along with your new head coach, you know, along with, you know, the NBA that's getting more competitive by the second and the season's so quickly approaching, it, it's just a bad situation for John. And and I hate – Well, Kelly, do you – do you, let me jump in real fast. Yeah. Do you agree? Because to that point about, you know, I think fans don't always necessarily understand how big a deal it is. Like the politics of media responsibilities among players and coaches matters a lot. Like to your point – if you're James Harden, you're getting you know more money than anybody on the squad, and, and you are the face of that franchise. You should be the voice of that franchise a lot of times. And so John just got this jersey on for five minutes, and you know now he's having to answer tough questions. But you also wrote about first year coach Stephen Silas, who has obviously seen this job change a lot in his short time on the job. But it sounded like from what you wrote yesterday that you know in terms of body language and mood and message you did see a change in Steven that, that seemed to indicate, you know, a certain level of discomfort here. Yeah. Because even, you know, at some point as, as, you know, cheerful as he is, the questions are going to come. And as much as he wants to talk about how Eric Gordon looks in practice or how Christian Wood is faring or DeMarcus Cousins, he's going to have to answer why him and James have not had, had, had a face-to-face conversation yet. And that's tough. Like for a new head coach coming into that environment with everything that went on last season, you, the 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 best thing for you to come into would be some kind of stability. You know, you have a new GM. You know, you have a new backcourt, a new offense to look forward to, and a new season. And now every other question is, where's James? Where's James? And and you can see it. Like he he's getting annoyed with it. Hundred percent, guys. Just for fun, a, a little bit of context here, and and uh, I was looking this up to make sure I had the timeline accurate. I, I meant to mention this last week, but um, Stephen Silas, uh, the flashback I had through all the Harden controversy and and everything that's been going on uh, is that this is not the first time that he has been in the middle of a pretty fascinating superstar situation. Well, actually, let me <laughs> let me recant superstar uh, high level player situation. 
So back in 2008, um, the first time I ever met Steven Silas, he was a Warriors assistant coach. And, and this is an apples to oranges thing, but I, it does, I do think, illuminate um, not only Steven's style as a person and the fact that he, you know, if, if James Harden gives him a chance, Steven is very good at connecting with players. He understands them. He's got a great way about him. But Steven Silas was with the Warriors and they had a, a hell of a situation on their hands at the time, because if you guys remember, and Kelly, I, I hate to even think about how young you were at this point, brother, but, but uh he Monte Ellis had his moped controversy where he got hurt riding a moped, was suspended 30 games. I wasn't that young, taken. man. 20, 2008, <laughs> how young were you, Kelly? Just put it out there. 2008, yeah. I was 17. All right, that's better than I thought. There we go. But like, Steven was the Monte Ellis whisperer during that time. Monte was very upset with the Warriors organization for the financial negotiations that had gone on, you know, the, the discipline part of what he had done and how they chose to handle it, how they chose to handle it publicly. And so I know Montellis is, is a far cry from James Harden, but it, it really kind of stuck with me because, you know, back then Stephen made trips to Mississippi to go spend time with Monte at his home. And he was kind of the only one in the Warriors circle that Monte was trusting at that time. And I remember sitting down with Monte at that time, and and he was just heaping praise uh, upon Stephen for the way that he handled this whole situation. So it's not like people don't realize Stephen Silas has seen a lot, done a lot, and so I, I don't like the the way that he's sometimes characterized as some kind of babe in the woods right now, uh, just because it's his first year on the job. But this is a lot, and I don't know when James is going to you know kind of give him his ear and let him possibly have that kind of a voice that might help with the situation. But the unique part, as you guys know, is that, you know, the clock is ticking like never before. you got this unprecedented calendar with the compressed preseason schedule. Um, remind me, Kelly, what's preseason game number one is coming Friday? Is that right? A Friday against Chicago, right? Yeah. And then the right In Chicago. Right behind there. Now, now we, we do have to say that by the time the pod comes out, We'll probably know a little bit more about the situation because they're doing media in a few hours here. But um, it is incredibly tricky stuff, and I don't know where it's going next. I'm I'm so curious to see where this is headed because it feels like it can go in any direction, right? Like it feels like it can do anything. By the way, if James Harden is Monte Ellis, does that make like Chris Clemens the next Steph Curry? <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that how we're handling the situation? But I'm, oh, Fred, I love you. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm – I'm so it's crazy to watch from afar. Like it's really funny cuz when you cover the NBA, the perspective that you get on the drama that happens is basically it's it's crazy to follow until you think, "Oh man, I hope it doesn't happen on my beat." Right. Cuz then I'm not, I'm not sleeping for for however long this thing happens. Uh but I it is it is wild to be following the Harden stuff from afar. I have a question for you guys. Which I don't know if this is my crazy neurotic side that's kicking in here. But isn't James Harden blatantly violating the league's COVID protocols on a daily basis? So that's that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> I mean, like, I, admittedly, I hate to admit this, you're putting us on the spot. I, I'm trying to get clarity on that front. The the answer I got from the league, and uh I'm trying to pull up literally pull up an email here, was that because you know, like he because he hasn't reported, you know, like it, it's it's a rockets issue until he reports and, and they get to decide 
to, you know, how they want to handle it. They get to decide to what degree they care. Um, obviously a great deal. So the fact that he hasn't started that clock, um, you know, means it's on them. I don't know if that offers any clarity, but he was getting tested, I think, every day. But you're right. I mean, he's, you know, I think everybody was supposed to be, you know, in-house uh, by, I want to say, Friday. You know, and, and you know, you had teams having entire team workouts uh, days ago at this point. So, yes, uh, I, I also wonder what the league might do about the the danger factor and what he's been doing. You know, um, I, I think from a discipline standpoint, they, they put out in their health protocol the other day, which I think the latest one was – 154 pages that, you know, discipline is going to be a part of this. If you are found to be going places you shouldn't be going, you know, they're going to bring the hammer. So I feel like there is a belated hammer on Harden because they're letting the Rockets figure it out. But but I do certainly think there are infractions here, no doubt. Yeah, because because honestly, like that that was the first thing that I thought of. I was like, yeah. oh, because I, I see crowds and and all yeah. of a sudden I I start to feel ang- like sympathetic anxiety for whoever is in that situation. Right. You talk about That's- optics. I mean, you know, the TMZ video of him with little baby, there was a lot of people, you know, in, in a very close space. I didn't see. Was there any sort of social media or, or video or anything from the Vegas excursion? Yeah. I didn't, yes. There were like what, a what, what did that look like? It looked like Vegas. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like so Vegas in December, good. and, it's and not even good. beyond the team, it's just you know not to get. I, don't, I guess I'm getting preachy here, but it, it's been a tough year for everybody. We got you know we got national casualty rate around three thousand a day. Um, it 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 does. It just looks awful. It looks reckless. It looks selfish. Uh, it looks tone deaf. Uh, and so you know that that comes down on him first and foremost, and then it certainly reflects poorly on on the Rockets and what they're running right now. So, Sam, um, question for you. This is probably your expertise, but at what point – so let's say James doesn't report, you know, today, tomorrow. At what point do the Rockets start uh, issuing fines? Like, does that is that a thing? Oh, for sure. I think so. I mean, in, in normal time, not normal times, but, you know, the, the X factor there is that we just haven't gotten to know Rafael Stone well enough you know, as an executive. So he obviously is the first year GM of the Rockets elevated from his general counsel role previously under Daryl Morey. Um, you know, Rafael's voice would matter a great deal there. And, and we would learn about kind of his personality and the way he wants to run the team. But above him, obviously, is a guy that signs his checks with Tillman Fertitta, you know, and, and Patrick, his son, who's very involved. You know, how would they see the situation? I mean, yes, the fines would likely come quickly, um, but the ungodly amount of money that these guys make, especially a guy like James, I just don't know that that moves the needle. If he's, you know, again, we'll learn more later today, but if he's in fact trying to stay away, I mean, he can afford to stay away um, for a short amount of time without really having it affect his his money that much. So um, he's going to send whatever message he's going to send. If he just wanted to, get everybody's attention at the start of the season, remind them whose organization it is, because let's be honest, that's how they've run it the last couple of years. And I think for now, you know, right now, they are seeing the downside of that. You know, when they were winning 55-plus games a year and looking like they could challenge the Warriors, um, nobody had a problem with James Harden having carte blanche because, you know, he got the job done and they were at a very in a positive place. 
I think you are now seeing why that is sometimes a dangerous game to play for organizations because that that's their culture and and you know now he's taking advantage of that so but yeah the fines will come uh and the league will get involved because he's a, a star with the kind of profile that you are sending again league wide you're sending the wrong message to the fans you're sending the wrong message to the audience that you uh you obviously are trying to to hold on to right now during this pandemic so there's going to be a consequence you know one thing about james that people maybe well people should know but this is also kind of who he is. Like, this is not the first time, right? You know, he's not to this to this extent, but you know, everyone knows how the NBA schedule is during the year, a calendar year. You know, this kind of stuff happens with a lot of players sometimes. But I think now, like I said, the optics are just terrible because it's a short enough season, and um, the NBA is about to kick up again, and he's not there, so it right. just looks really, really bad. Well, Kelly, I don't want to speak for you. I think what you're alluding to is that and I'm, we're on the same page, is that if you take COVID out of the equation, which is obviously absurd, James Harden is a, he's a jet setter. He's a partier. He's a single dude. Um, you know, there there's legendary stories about him, you know, flying here, flying there, and, and coming back the next day to score 50 and get the job done. You know what I mean? Like, so if there wasn't a deadly virus in everybody's way, then it would be cute, but it's not. Um, and, and there is a deadly virus right now. So, that's the distinction, but you're right. You know, that's why I think in the beginning it left us kind of wondering, is it James being James or is he sending a message here? Um, Fred, on the other side of this trade, and we got into it last week, but you've now had a chance to uh, talk with one Russell Westbrook, to talk with one Scott Brooks, his old buddy from the OKC days. Um, the, the part I love about this is that, first of all, right out the gate, you know, the, the Wizards have, like you said, more eyeballs on them. They have something worth watching. They have synergy between the star and the coach. Um, you've already written some great stuff, and you always do a great job. But I admittedly, I you know, I've covered Russ's career. I'm, I'm all about Russ stories. And so you had one last week talking about, you know, the, the legendary anecdote um, of, you know, Russ and talking to Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal about how, and this is during the Thunder days, when uh, Chris kind of challenged him and said, how come you you uh, you don't go left more? I'm backwards. Was it left or right, Freddie? So, so he was – it wasn't even a challenge. It was just, you know, right. Chris is so analytical. and right. I'm watching uh, the story. You tell it. Yeah, so Chris yeah. so Chris showed up to a Thunder shoot-around one day. He was It was post-Wall Street Journal. He was at 538 at the time, and which he still is. And Chris is such a great analytics writer, right? And so he he showed up that day and was doing a story on Westbrook's driving tendencies. And he was going left about three quarters of the time. So Chris showed up with like a sheet of paper and everything with the numbers on it. And Westbrook did media availability after a morning shoot around the day of the game. And Chris ended the scrum by asking his question. Basically, I say, and you've been going left 73% of the time this year. It's more than ever. Why is that? Rust. Didn't really give much of an answer. I don't think he really knew the answer. I don't think it was a conscious thing that he was going left that much. Um, but uh, he actually is a, a natural lefty in life. He writes with his left hand and bowls with his left hand, does a lot of other things with his left hand. So it makes sense he would go left, but 73% of the time was his most effort. So Chris asked him, and Chris even handed him the paper to look at it to show they went left 73% of the time on his drives. And Russ kind of said, I don't want it, and gave it back to him. And that night, it was very clear. Chris was asking, everyone goes one direction more. 
it's not going to be a clean 50-50. Probably right. going to be 51-49 at, at best, right? Uh, and so Chris was asking, was saying basically you haven't been going right as much. And right. Russ clearly took it as you can't go right. You know that, right? So that night, Russ went right like every time. It was actually Brett Dawson who was covering the Thunder for the Oklahoman at the time who noticed it first that night. It was like, guys, you realize Russ is going right all the time tonight after that Chris Herring, uh, after that Chris Herring question. And he's just like, it, it's the exact Michael Jordan moment from The Last Dance where he right. says, I took this personal. Right. And that is exactly how Russ thinks. It's exactly how he thinks. He he is looking for slights. He is wildly competitive. That's just how he operates. It's how he thinks. Uh, he is one of the. I covered him in Oklahoma City. I'm covering him again now. He is one right. of the most wildly competitive people uh, I have ever met in any context. Uh, so he's going to change the culture in Washington for good or for bad. That culture, whatever team Russell Westbrook is on, is a Russell Westbrook team. Well, and that's the thing I love. I mentioned the synergy between he and Scotty, which, by the way, like just the odds of the one team that was really the only team that was in a position to take on a contract of that magnitude, just so happening, you know, to uh, to employ one Scott Brooks, who is the only coach in the NBA who has Russell Westbrook's trust. I mean, Billy Donovan probably, you know, is lower on that list, but it's a different relationship. It's a I don't think Russ. Yeah, I don't think Russ and Billy had a bad relationship by any means. It's just like right. Scott can go at Russ, like go right. at him. And Scott was also the Russ looks at Scott as the guy who believed in him. Like when Russ first came into the league, really the at least the media narrative on him, the public narrative I should say, was really is this guy really a point guard? Is he more of just a small two he doesn't have point guard instincts and scott was immediately behind him like scott's first major coaching move when he took over as the interim coach during russ's rookie year his first major coaching move was benching earl watson and putting russ into the starting lineup and saying this dude is not just a point guard but he's my point guard and scott still gets fiery when you ask him about that you guys in the media said he wasn't a point guard. How wrong are you? He gets so fiery about it. to this day. To this day, you said that to me three days ago. You know. So. so here's my favorite part. You are fiery right now, and I've known you for years and enjoyed you greatly. Um, I want to. I want to go down the writing road a little bit. We get into our kind of our craft. You know, every so often on this pod, as a writer, and this is just the human component. Uh, you and I have talked the last couple seasons about how. You churn out fantastic Wizards coverage. And then, and, th- and this is the case for a lot of our folks who, who cover lower profile teams that just don't have the fan bases. There are times when we all, I don't care what you do for a living, you enjoy it when more people enjoy your work, right? When you feel like you have an audience, when you feel like it moves the needle. Um, just how fired up are you? to tell these stories you already started, but the synergy that you're talking about here, your relationships with Scott, it's a competitive edge in the market. Um, you know, I mean, all of a sudden the athletic has a wizards beat writer with institutional knowledge on Russ. You already had it on Scotty, you, you know, and you're really good at what you do. Like just from the day to day being forced to sit on your couch and, and cover the NBA in a safe COVID free environment. Like, you know, did this kind of get the juices going? Yeah, I think so. It it, it kind of feels like going back to high school, to be honest. Like I feel like I feel like Billy Madison, 
where where like the thunder beat was the, I, I see you yeah I, I get that you know the thunder beat was like yeah. the first it wasn't my first job covering the nba i had other jobs yeah. covering the nba but i feel like it was kind of my first job into the i mean it was my first beat writer job you know right and i was in right. my mid-20s when i got on that beat and then uh and and you feel like, you know, I was at a really small paper, a great paper. I mean, my editor there was unreal. Like, it was an amazing job. But, you know, a small paper. I think we had the smallest circulation of any paper with a traveling beat that covered the NBA. And right. probably by far, honestly. And and so, like, Can I be feel- honest with you and, and tell you real quickly that, like, when we first met, I, I just got to own it. I remember kind of thinking to myself like the the norman transcript like what <laughs> where is that like I mean, i'm a i'm a west coast dude i grew up yeah. in california sounds yeah, like it's I owned no by idea. a guy named norman yes yeah, <laughs> Nor- yeah good norman old norm that's his paper yeah <laughs> not that it's in norman oklahoma Read yeah my transcript yeah i know that was my reaction when i applied it turned out to be the best career decision i ever made my editor there was unreal and it was a great place to work but it right. was also like you are staying in worse hotels when you travel and right, and right. you're you're taking the 6 a.m. flight every time because it saves you 30 bucks and and right, you know it's right. it's it's that it was that kind of job it was it was me trying to work my way into the industry so you feel like you graduate from it a little bit and now it's like oh I'm back all the same right. guys you know so so with Russ in those days and and you know and updating it to the here and the now um give me your your most positive Russell Westbrook media story in terms of we know that he does not grant very often one-on-one interviews. He can be certainly more combative than any player in the entire league, uh, but he is nothing if not interesting. You know, I'm sure in your mind, you've got that short list of times when, when, you know, something with Russ that went well and that you'll never forget. What's, you know, which one tops that list? Mm, That's a good question. I mean, here's the thing. All all of my favorite Russ or stories. Or the disaster stories. That would be Yeah, funny. yeah. That's the thing. All of my favorite Russ stories are disaster all right, stories. I tried to be positive. Let's that I look back stuff. on and I'm like, you know what? That is the funniest thing ever. And and I I didn't realize at the time, because I didn't think this way as much, but like they're amazing stories to write. Like right. He's he's unintentionally actually giving amazing stories to write. It's just not going to, you know, if you ask him about the defense and he responds a certain way that it just makes for a hilarious anecdote, it's not going to help you with your story on the defense. But well, at some point a year down the line, you can write that exchange and it's it's hilarious. So right. so I feel like those kinds of moments and I've got some of them and I've written some of them are uh you know, those those always those always kill me. I mean, we romanticize it now. Um, but to your point that you're kind of getting at too, like it's it's frustrating on a daily grind, I'm sure. Even for me, I remember and this was only, I guess, two seasons ago, uh, I had gone to Indiana to try to connect with Paul George in advance of his second return to India, uh, you know, to uh the Pacers. Um and Tried to get so I got Russ that night, and it was actually there was it was an unintentional one on one with nobody else around, and asked him about facing the Warriors was basically trying to do some advance work about how the Thunder were going to play the Warriors. The most innocuous question imaginable, just yeah, hey, Russ, you got the Warriors on Saturday. Where's your head at? 
regarding that game. And this was during his next question phase. And and it's just, it was so unnecessary. Like it was an intimate environment, no cameras, no, you know, if you're going to show me up for the sake of sports center, you're not going to get that video in this exchange because nobody was around and I got next question. And I'm like, are you serious, Russ? Like, come on, man. So, I mean, it's, it's maddening. Uh, Kelly, you, uh, I'm going to keep going down the Russ road here. You seem to have a pretty good rapport with Russ. And, and honestly, I found him to be, you know, uh, pretty affable during his short Houston tenure. He seemed to was great. have a different way about him. Yeah. What'd you think? Yeah. I think obviously the way he came in and the reputation he had around the league, um, I was, I was scared as hell at first. I'm not going to lie. Sure. I had heard so many stories of people exchanging with him. I'd seen videos that didn't look great. But I remember in particular, there was one day where he was, he had just finished the media in the locker room and he was headed towards the the tunnel to, to, to leave the, the facility. And I was outside, I chased him down. I was like, hey Russ, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yo, what's up, man? <laughs> he just stopped me and I, and I was I was kind of shell-shocked and I was like, yeah, so, you know, I'm Kelly Eco, blah, blah, blah. I, I work for The Athletic. He's like, all right, good, brother. And then I remember a couple weeks later, um, I was trying to do this story with him, and I and I stopped him and I asked him if I could ever, you know, do do a one on one. And he's like, eh, I don't know, I'll, cause y'all be, you know, taking my words and flipping them. And I was like, Yeah, but you know, every way you say that, this is this isn't everywhere you've been. This is a new environment. This is a new city. You know, you don't have to have those same, you know, thoughts. And he's like, Yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. So just hit me up. And I, and unfortunately, I never got to hit him up because the season. Is as the season goes, but right. me and him always had that good rapport where he didn't like snap at me because all I want to do was cover stories. And he's right, right. he's a very interesting guy. Like anyone who doesn't know Russ, like on that level, he's an extremely you know personal guy, but he's very interesting. So right, right. Um, the only thing I regret is not being able to cover him longer. Sure, he's sure. he's maybe the most compelling person I've ever covered. Yeah, yeah, right, right. He's he's a g- fascinating person. He picks up on everything. Like you, you won't get you. You won't get any. I think he has he has like such a high guard up now that you can't pull any fast one on him. But well, he's yeah, smart he's, as hell too. I mean, that, he's that's smart as hell. Yeah. Yeah. And and you wrote. Um, actually, I'm sorry, Fred. You wrote in your piece about that the old anecdote about him kind of punking a guy that that challenged him on the court in his UCLA days. But I remember the note about that if he's quiet on you, that's when you know he's pissed. That's when you know he's coming. That if he's talking shit to you then you know then you're probably gonna be fine uh but he he is smart he's you know a hell of a player uh on the basketball front fred is this gonna work you know is this gonna get the wizards back to you know being relevant being a playoff team and uh once covid hopefully passes get butts in the seats here you know i think it will work their way back to being relevant I'll tell you that much because we've been talking about the Wizards on a national podcast for 20 minutes right now. Right. So I think it will work their way back to being relevant. I think they're already there. In terms of if it's going to work on a basketball side, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, it it just kind of depends on how you define work. I think the most likely scenario is 
Yeah, I find it impossible to guess who is going to be the bottom playoff seeds now because with the play-in tournament, you're basically asking me, who do you think is going to win one game between the Wizards and the Hawks in May? And I'm like, I don't know. So (laughs) in terms of just where teams are going to finish, I think they're somewhere in that contention for, you know, eight, nine, maybe somebody falls off at seven, maybe they're a little better, you know, maybe it's seven or something like that in the East, which which is obviously... Technically, they finished 10th last year. They were one of the nine teams in the bubble, but they were also 25 and 47. So it wasn't a real ninth or 10th. You know, there were 22 games under 500 in a season that was 10 games shorter than it was supposed to be. They were a a 50 plus loss team by normal season standards. So it's not exactly like they were they were that caliber. I could see it working. The the comparison that I keep drawing and, and I'll bring Bradley Beal into the conversation the comparison that stands out to me most, because Russ has played with a lot of like not not really good players. I mean, great players. I mean, Kevin Durant, Paul George, Victor Oladipo, which everybody seems to forget about. Uh, well, he was pretty forgettable during that stretch, to be fair. Yes, but yes, yes, yeah. yes he was. Yeah. Russ was not good for him on a basketball level. Um, and what I'm getting at is. Some of them work out like Victor Oladipo on a basketball side, where even early in in the season, people think of Victor Oladipo went to Oklahoma City, and that was during the Russ MVP year, and they just parked him in the corner and rusted his thing. In reality, it's a little more complicated than that. It's actually even more exaggerated than when you play it that way, because early in the season, Billy Donovan's trying to run Oladipo off his screens and open him up. And Russ is just waving it off because when you run off a pin down, you're bringing your guy into the lane and then Russ can't run. Russ can't drive whenever the heck he wants. And that's what that season was. So by the end of the year, it just kind of evolved into Victor Oladipo is going to stand there in the corner and that's kind of going to be it. Uh, and, And so that worked like really badly for Victor Oladipo. And we saw that when he made second team all NBA his first season in Indiana. Paul George to me was kind of the opposite. Paul George had the best season of his career in his second season in Oklahoma City, finishing third in MVP voting and playing next to Russ. And I think stylistically, Beal has the most similarities of all the really good players, and Harden, obviously, who Russ played with as well, of all the great players Russ has played with. I think Beal has the most similarities to Paul George because of the way he moves off the ball. They run off of very similar types of screens. Uh, I could see Scott Brooks ripping a lot of stuff from Billy Donovan's offense and placing it into the Wizards, letting Russ run high pick and rolls. The Wizards have a good amount of shooters. I mean, Beal, Bertans, and Russ on the floor. Thomas Bryant, who's I think a really underrated offensive center. You have four of those guys on the floor together. And whether the last guy is Rui Hachimura or Troy Brown or even Isak Bonga or something like that, like I feel like there is insane offensive potential there. And I don't know if they're going to defend. That's what it's going to come down to. But if there's a chance it looks really good. Like there's there's a chance that offense looks real good because the Wizards. Out I mean, it's a they're a league pass team. You know what I mean? Like, at, at oh, a minimum, yeah. we'll see we'll see where it goes. Um, Kelly, before we get to listener questions here. And again, I like I already prefaced, the Rockets are going to speak later today. But regardless of what comes next, I'm curious in terms of taking a pulse on the team that you cover, what feedback you know have you gotten to this point regarding we cannot speak to where James's head is at. We probably can speak to what people are thinking and feeling within the organization. Like, are you sensing 
patience? Are you sensing annoyance? Are you sensing something in between? Like what, what, how are people reacting to this situation? Um, I think it's patience. I okay. think they understand it's patience with a, a little bit of reality. Um, they understand that, you know, James wants to leave, um, but he doesn't necessarily have as much of leverage as, you, as he would like to have. Now, in a vacuum, the Rockets would love to focus on the season coming up. You know, John Wall's in town. You know, you can start to put the pieces together of an offense and defense that, that should work. I do think that the team knows that the Russ and James just didn't fit, and there's a potential for a slightly improved fit with John Wall and James just because of John Wall's usage. He's not necessarily a score-first guard. He's more of a pass-first, kind of like Chris Paul. Um, but this is going to be a large, dark cloud over the franchise until it's, it gets sorted out, even when he does come to the, to, to the team. You know, it's still going to be the question of how committed is he? Because, you know, the, the, like I said, it's it's just a terrible look, you know, three, four days into camp, everybody's in camp all around the NBA, and your best player is not here. And and it's not that he's not here because of he's injured. He's not here because he's out partying. Right. You know, and it's on social media. And it's almost a slap in the face to, to the Rockets, you know, a team that has kind of, put him in a lot of positions to to succeed over the last eight, nine, ten years. You know, regardless of how the playoffs turned out or whatever, this has been a very good relationship between James Harden, you know, and Houston over the last almost a decade. Yep. So I, I do think that they understand that they want him in town. They want to see how he looks with those new pieces under center. But, you know, it's it's kind of crappy right now. Well, and we'll see what comes next, but you also have, I mean, the, the personal connections in Brooklyn and Philly are, are so interesting, too, when you talk right. about a possible Kevin Durant reunion uh, with the Nets, you know, and, and that group um, and, and a leadership group in the front office with Sean Marks that, you know, I, I think is with the Spurs background is, is always going to be impressive to, to any star that's kind of looking that way. And, they you know, they're building a great thing. And then out in Philly, I mean, Daryl Morey, is going to be waiting in the weeds. I mean, last I checked about a week ago, I, I think from the Sixers side, they did believe that the Rockets would hold on to James. But, you know, with every passing day and every headline, you know, those dynamics could change. Uh, Mr. Andrew Schlecht, who I have rudely ignored for the entire podcast, our fine producer who's been listening in the background. Um, let's jump into the listener question portion, my guy. What uh, What's that looking like? Uh, first question comes from uh, at Andrew K. Schlecht, and he wants to know, what are the other hardened suitors out there? Like Philly is a clear one. Like the Ben Simmons makes a ton of sense. Everybody's talked about that. Everybody talks about the Nets, and some people think it's passable. Some people think it's garbage. But who else could jump in on this? I mean, this is James Harden. This is all NBA James Harden. Who else is going to jump in? Well, this is right up your alley. I, I've been joking that, you know, I think I want to see the ultimate troll move from Sam Presti and just take all those picks that he's been, you know, <laughs> compiled up. And doesn't even matter to Sam that there's no team around James Harden, so to speak. Uh, you know, just bring James back to OKC and and, and rewrite history. You know, I, I think he's he's got the, the cupboard full of assets to do it, but I don't see that happening. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder, you know, and, and – guys jump in with how you see it but like 
the the Hawks are an interesting team to me, and I'm not trying to say that they're, you know, jumping in on this, but you know, teams that they they create enough of a foundation to where they feel like they're now competing, and, and oh by the way, man, this shift is is pretty interesting in terms of just the star relocations and how all of a sudden the Eastern Conference is is getting more and more interesting. So, you know, the Nets did what they did. The Wizards are back in the game from a star standpoint. Um, you know, I, I think the Hawks are looking at everything and they, you know, now have a combination of players and assets that are going to keep them on the phone all the time. Um, you know, I don't know who else comes to mind because as great as James is, James is a culture changer, maybe not always in the best kind of way. He's going to come take most of the oxygen out of your room. And that's the way the Rockets have run it. And again, to great success, you know, historic success that included everything but a championship for that franchise. But this is just not your typical, you know, acquisition of an MVP caliber player. Uh, this is a guy who has struggled the last couple of years to fit with co-stars. And so surprisingly, you know, I think that list of teams, it would be, you know, not as long as you might think. You know, there was a report from Arsham Sharania that the Warriors had called on him. Um, Warriors GM Bob Myers wouldn't wouldn't touch that in a press conference. And, you know, given Shams' track record, I'm guessing is definitely true. And, you know, they were just kind of taking a crack at it there. But, you know, I don't know that um, he has as many landing spots as people might think. I, I have a crazy one to throw out there. Um, not based on sources, just I think this would be fun. Um, I think New Orleans would be crazy. Sure. I, th- I thought about that one too. And they have so many picks now, so mm-hmm. much stuff to give up. Lots and of young him, assets. Yeah, you can you can give up Ingram in that deal and make him the centerpiece, and you you know, and you've got him locked up, and and uh, you know, throw in a bunch of those picks, and you kind of got your really good young player who you've got team control of, and a lot of draft picks. Like they can make a legit offer. The thing that I I mean, I've thought of New Orleans as a really how good they are this year is going to make them fascinating. Because I've thought about them from the Wizards' perspective. Like, what if the Wizards seriously underperform and all of a sudden Bradley Beal, which he is not at all right now, becomes on the market because circumstances change? Like, I thought of New Orleans as, well, if New Orleans is wins 38 games, then they're not going to do that trade and try to keep somebody. But if New Orleans, let's say they're way ahead of schedule. Let's say they, let's say they win you know, the equivalent of, of 52 games. Now all of a sudden it's like, we feel like we're a piece away from winning the West. If we get someone awesome, they might be willing to do something like that and take a risk. If Zion comes out and he just looks like a top 20 or top 15 player like that, that you might be in that position. So new Orleans is, that's one of the most interesting teams in the league to me. I agree. I think, and only Dave Griffin knows the answer to this question. I mean, listen, you do that tomorrow and and you got a high level Western conference team. Um, GMs typically are pretty addicted to the timelines of their core. You know what I mean? And that would be the obvious uh, hindrance to that kind of a move. I just had to confirm it in terms of age. Zion obviously is is 20. I mean, James is 11 years older than him. Mm-hmm. And so, but, so the question then becomes how much of this level of basketball do you think James has left? You get him for two years. That's all you can count on. Uh, it's a Paul George situation with OKC essentially where – you know, you have a decent runway. Uh, but then on the back end of that, given the market alone, you have to feel somewhat cynical about your prospects of holding on to them. So at that point, you got a 22-year-old uh, Zion Williamson 
and you've lost a bunch of those assets that you you know gave up to get James and maybe you're not holding on to him. So that would be a risky move. It would be a hell of a lot of fun in the short term. But like you said, they could probably do it. Kelly? If they wanted to just troll, they could just send him to Washington for Bradley Beal. <laughs> Put them back together? <laughs> I have, it's either Washington or Phoenix. And you just sent him back with Chris yeah. and Russ. Hey, Philadelphia is putting him back with Dwight, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about but that. Another team, but another thing. team that was interesting to me was uh, Minnesota. Um, but obviously that does take a bit of, you know, reaching. But I do think, to me, this Harden saga is going to end up like the Anthony Davis. Remember how whenever the news first broke up that the Lakers wanted him, the word was, was like, oh, oh the Lakers don't have enough. Hmm. The right. Lakers don't have enough to, yeah, for Anthony Davis and blah, 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 and ended up, you know, just taking that package. I think it could be that similar well, thing down and, the and line. Kelly, like I mentioned the personal connections, I somehow didn't mention Mike D'Antoni uh, being on Steve Nash's coaching staff in Brooklyn, you know, and, yep. and I kind of wrote the other day about, I'm not saying it would have worked, but if, if the Rockets were just trying to minimize the chaos going into this season, this whole thing probably could have been avoided by, you know, not getting sideways with Mike back, you know, when they were trying to work out a contract extension because that was the first domino to fall. It was, you know, Mike leaves, Daryl leaves, um, and next thing you know, these guys won out. So you're right, the AD thing is instructive as far as how this might end up going, especially when you see the Nets and Kevin Durant in particular downplaying, you know, the level of talks between them and, you know, and, and it, so it doesn't feel like a right now thing. It feels like a down the road thing, you know, and, and maybe when the Rockets get off to a mediocre start and, and Rafael Stone and Tillman Fertitta start, you know, looking at each other and saying, you know, let's kind of finally change the, uh, the landscape here. Got one more. This is from a Pepsi United who wants to know, uh, Kelly, where do you put, the Rockets in the West as of today, let's say James Harden decides to come to camp. Uh, and then where would you put them after maybe, a, let's say, a net trade? Right now, I, I have them in the tier two of the West. So, you know, five, six, maybe seven. Um, I just think that the West is just too damn hard right now. Uh, Clippers and Lakers, Denver, Portland, if you want to put... Um, Utah, you know, I think that the Rockets are a notch below those I think teams. Definitely Utah. Yeah, I think they're a notch below those teams. So Dallas. right now, I, I still, th- and that's the problem with, with with all these things going on. It's like, as a franchise, you want so much to be stable, and you want to try and get over that hump. But I still see their 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 level as a second round out right now. Now, if he gets traded, that even comes down. Like. If he gets traded for what Karis Levert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and, and whatever you want to put in there, um, I just don't see the Rockets getting past that second round for a long time. They're in a tough spot. They are. They are. And again, with 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 a new crew, you know, and, and I respect all those guys, Stephen Silas and Rafael Stone. And- Right, but it's a new crew. Like they're just getting to know each other, and they're going to speak in like thirty minutes. So I'm really excited for that. Right, <laughs> that's Kelly's way of saying he's done. <laughs> I'm gonna throw one last quick one, and thank you guys for joining me. This was fun uh, as always. Um, but Andrew, I stole this one from your timeline. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know if you uh, 
you know, if you didn't feel like getting into it, but I'm a sucker for just kind of the best backcourt question, best backcourt in the East. And Fred, this one coming your way uh, now with, with Russ and Bradley together. Uh, it's an interesting debate. Where do you think they, uh, and I'm putting you on the spot there, but you know, is this the best, best backcourt in the East and who do you think is, uh, is up there with them? Oh, this one's for me. Not yes. Andrew. Oh, I oh, guess is... that makes sense. I I, I do yeah. cover the NBA. You don't cover I? the Wizards. That's, yeah. that's your team. Yeah, yeah. That no, that's my Were team. Were you texting I... Amo again? Was that what no. happened there? <laughs> no, <laughs> I wasn't. I I just thought you directed it at Andrew, but you directed it at me. poorly presented. Sense. All right, poorly presented. you're putting me on the spot. So so I actually haven't thought about this a ton. I mean, Boston is here. Really let me good. give you. I'll give you the list real quick. So, yeah. I mean, Kemba, Kemba's hurt. So then you have a question of, like, do we just pretend he's not hurt? But, yeah. you know, that backcourt, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart. Uh, in Miami, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the Heat a backcourt. I mean, Jimmy Butler runs their offense. You know what I mean? Sure, like, sure, he's, sure. So I'm not giving Duncan Robinson one of those spots. You know, he's your spot-up shooter. So I'm going to say, for my druthers, uh, Jimmy Butler, by, Goran By Rodgers. the way, I'm throwing Toronto in there, too. Sure. Lowry and Van Vliet are awesome. And play Sam says, together. sure. AKA Sam doesn't believe that. Yeah, you don't you don't buy that? Yeah. Yeah, you don't buy that. Man, I'm a West Coaster. I just I need to watch Fred more. I, I have I respected him and appreciated him during the finals, uh, back when we went to games in person, you know, last season. Um, well, I shouldn't complain, says the guy who was in the bubble, but games with fans. Yes, I think Kyle and Fred, they're not the one to me. They're they are in the conversation. Uh, and I think the guys in Indiana are part of that conversation as well, you know, with Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon. Um, so, uh, but, but you know, what say you? Is is Russ and Brad, are they the one? Are you covering the best right. backcourt in the East, Fred? Well, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a serious throwback that we're now debating if the Wizards have the best backcourt in the East. <laughs> and I'm going to give the typical answer that you give the Wizards backcourt when they claim to have the best backcourt in the East. By the way, there's 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 Kyrie and Joe Harris, too. Um, yes. Or Kyrie and Dimwitty, depending on which way they go. Kyrie and um, whoever. Yeah. Right, right. And, and uh, I'm going to give the typical answer that, that, we, that we would give the John Wall-Bradley Beal one, which is... I think there's a chance they have the most talented backcourt in the East. But ultimately, the reason why I said we got to include Toronto in there is because those guys play beautifully together. They, they do. Defend, yeah. They defend their asses off. And there's a world in which, I mean, Van Vliet is, is really a point guard, right? I mean, he might as well be a point guard. There's a world in which starting those two guys together, there are some redundancy or maybe just some stylistic problems and those don't exist because they play beautifully together on both ends of the floor and ultimately the quality of the backcourt comes down to the cohesion between the two guys obviously talent is the most important part but if Westbrook and and Beal don't mesh or Westbrook is 32 years old and looks like he's maybe 95% of his of last year's athleticism which was about 95% of his 2016 athleticism then, then maybe it's not quite there, but I'll say this. If they mesh well together, which I think there's a chance they do, there's also a chance they don't, but it, their ceiling is best backcourt in the East, I'll say. Uh, their, their, their floor is, uh, is like fourth best backcourt in the East. Like they, they could easily fall behind the Brooklyn one. They could fall behind the Toronto one. 
it sounds like I like Toronto more than you do. They could fall behind the Boston one. No, I'm um, with you. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give guess. the tip of the cap to yeah, Miami's the they were the ones that that yeah. in terms of cohesion they got it done all the way to the tune of the finals this year. So I hear you there. Uh, I'm going to. And cap I'm thinking it out there. loud too. So you, yeah, I know. And I did this. It was no prep work. You were not allowed to do any homework. I threw it <laughs> right in your lap. And by the way, this proving yet again, I have terrible uh, comedic sense. I, I missed my chance with Schlecht to to be throwing next questions at him, Russell Westbrook style, <laughs> as I uh, set up this segment. So guys, I appreciate you. Keep kicking butt on your beats. We are enjoying it. Um, it's these stories are going to continue changing. Come back next week to the fine listeners. We appreciate you. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite platforms. Give us a nice review. And uh, we're just getting started. It started to feel real last week. Feels even more real this week. We've had headlines and fireworks and and uh, all these crazy, unprecedented stories on the COVID front that are going to be very unique to cover. So appreciate you guys. Talk to you soon. 